Okay, if you don't know what's happening tomorrow, you're probably in the ignorance is bliss category. However, some of you, I think, are going to be leaving us for a little extended tour in Uganda. And I forgot the book. There's a book by a guy named, uh, uh, I think it's Kathy Sampangi, is that right? Is that, you got the book? Uh, Distant Grief. Oh, yes. And uh, uh, everything, uh, it's about Idi Amin, it's about the persecution of Christians in Uganda, and it, uh, uh, it is a good, it's a very good read. I read it in one day. And you'll, uh, if you read it, you'll understand he's apparently, as far as I understand, he's getting kind of like me, getting older. And I think he's in the United States. I know that he contacted uh, Edmund Clowney before he came, and Edmund Clowney was a president of, eventually, the president of uh, Westminster. And uh, he went to Westminster then. Uh, again, was it Kambangi? Is that, I, I guess, Sampangi? Yeah, Sampangi. Good thing that I don't live in Uganda. I couldn't pronounce my own last name. But at any rate, at any rate, it's a good book, and it's a very helpful book. Like I said, I read it in one day. So uh, that's pretty amazing for me, because usually I'm reading two or three different books, and I'm popping off from one to the other. And uh, what do you know? In fact, uh, I was reading this morning a guy by the name of Lucian, who lived in the third century, has a lot to do with the subject we're going to talk about today. But before we talk about that, I think we need to have a prayer. So let's bow for a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for uh, giving us today to worship and to rest. In fact, to give us a uh, day of worship every week. Thank you for that, for establishing that we need the rest, we need the worship, we need the time to be with you. And I pray, Lord, that you'll be with our guys as they're getting ready, uh, men and women, getting ready to go to uh, Uganda. Lots of things could go wrong. And we need your uh, guidance every step of the way that uh, the flights will be safe, that they will arrive there safely, that their health will be uh, uh, kept up. And I pray, Lord, that you'll be with all of us that uh, are not going, that we will pray for them. And I ask, Lord, you'll be with all of our families today, be with all of our uh, children and grandchildren, parents, brothers, sisters, every one of our family, that they may find hope and peace as we do in Jesus. Hear us for his sake. Amen. Amen. All right. Finish this sentence if you can. Today is the first day of? Well, that's true, but that's not what it's the first day of. This day, I'll give you a clue. Uh, it begins something that lasts for 40 days, and that will be finished August the 11th. Say what? Pentecost, no, Pentecost. you know when Pentecost is. 50 days after uh, Easter, isn't it? At least our Easter. Orthodox Easter is different. But uh, Western. First day of? Marine should know that. Dog days. 
The dog days of summer. They have arrived. And it's going to be hot. Huh? Where's it at in the Bible? Well, it is. I can't mention it because people who have dogs don't like to hear that. But if you read the last chapter of Revelation, you'll read something about dogs. <laughs> and so, anyway, dogs in heaven. Okay, so we're supposed to talk about something that, uh, well, it's something we're interested in talking about. And uh, every, every time you, uh, you get a bunch of legal documents, you get a page that's intentionally left blank. So I thought, I would have one that's intentionally, <laughs> intentionally left blank. And the reason I did that is because I want to know if you can think about what is a verse in the Bible that almost everyone, if not everyone, knows? John 3.16, and that's what we're going to talk about uh, today. A little bit about John 3.16. I'm going to try this thing and see if it all works. We're going to talk about, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm going to be breaking that up a little bit, but it's, the main title is amazing. It's God's amazing love. It's God's amazing gift. It's God's amazing promise. And of course, three points is enough, right? Joel says he preached a lot of points one time. But uh, uh, I think I got a beat. I had 14 points on the, uh, the attributes of God. And then, to see if my congregation was awake, I preached uh, 25 minutes on the first point. <laughs> they were getting nervous. I had an elder when I was a student. This is kind of funny. He, uh, uh, he had his watch. He wore his watch like most people do. And he held it always up like this. Kept holding it way up during the sermon. And after the sermon, I said, what's, what's the deal? How come you're holding your watch up all the time? He said, oh, that's no problem. He said, I always do that. But if I hold it up to my ear, that's when you get worried. <laughs> and so he always did that. All right, let's uh, talk about John 3.16, you might want to look it up. Um, there's a question right at the beginning. It's not all of Scripture, but it is a memorable summary. It is not the entirety of the gospel, but it involves the entirety of the gospel. The first question that I have about that is, whose words are these? Is it Jesus continuing his conversation with Nicodemus? You know about Nicodemus, right? Or is it uh, John commenting on Jesus' interview with Nicodemus? Nicodemus comes at night and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, you must be born again or you must be born from above, which had to be a very confusing thing for Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus, he was a scholar. He knew what was happening. And yet, he's getting this message that seems contradictory to everything. 
Now, we're reading now at our house through uh, Leviticus. And every single offering, everything, just detail after detail after detail. I said to Marine this morning, how in the world could Moses remember all of that? I mean, that's a lot, isn't it? If you read Leviticus. You're not skipping it, are you? Don't skip it. Read it. It's, uh, uh, it shows the perfection of what God wants, and it shows the perfection of what Jesus did as our high priest. He is the high priest, if you remember David's sermon, after the order of Melchizedek. Yeah, Melchizedek. If you, uh, uh, we kind of work in fits and starts on our uh, uh, Tuesday morning Bible study, but if we, uh, if nobody else comes, then I take care of it and I do it. And we're going through Melchizedek right now, slowly but surely. So uh, uh, we're going through Hebrews is what we're doing. All right, this is an amazing uh, verse indeed. See if I can get this thing to move. In fact, some say it's the gospel in a nutshell. Some say the Bible in miniature. Some say the wisdom of the world. People have all kinds of uh, different ideas. It is not the whole of the Bible, however. It may summarize it pretty well. But if that's all you know, it's not much. But some people, because it is so compact, they get kind of, oh, well, lackadaisical. So what? Ho-hum. It's, uh, it's John 3.16. But it is, like I say, it's the only one that uh, people who are secular can remember. I had one time where I uh, uh, had a guy in the church who was a little nutty, but he was a good friend. And he took me fishing in Canada. And we stopped at a cafe, and uh, the waitress there was a little odd and saying things she shouldn't have been saying. And my friend said, ah, he said, this guy's a preacher? And he said, I got five kids. And uh, she said, ah, you're not a preacher. She said, tell me a Bible verse. I said, no, you tell me which one you want. Because I knew that she wouldn't know more than one. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, she said she was, uh, uh, John 3.16 is the one she talked about. Everybody knows about that. And and, uh, well, it's not amazing, but she was raised as a Lutheran. I said, you know what? I said, what church you go to? I want to talk to your preacher tomorrow. And uh, it was kind of interesting deal. But she knew John, a secular person knew John 3.16. And I think that everybody kind of goes that far and then just stops. We want to go further than that. We don't want the whole hum deal. Let's see if I can get this thing moving. Well, maybe I can't. Maybe it dies. There's the whole hum. Okay, we're going to look at amazing love, amazing gift, amazing promise. What is, uh, how does the uh, verse start? God so loved the world. Okay, so loved the world that he gave. His love has to do with the intensity of his love toward the world, and he gave his only son. 
Now, your translation might be a little different than my translation. Most translations don't want to use the word begotten anymore. Does yours use the word begotten? So when we get there, you'll find that it is actually the word that's in, I mean, it's in the original. What can I say? You know, it's there. Meanwhile, this also is God so loved the world. I want you to take a look at that. It, it uses the word cosmos. What is the cosmos? Say again, Gary. Okay. The order, what God made, the whole thing. God so loved the world. It's not just about people, that's the point. And people make this point that all people are saved because God loved the world. It's not just about people, but it's about the universe, nature. To Adam, God said what? Somebody want to read it. Okay, watch that last line. Cursed is the ground because of you. Anybody have uh, uh, what they call dollar weed around here? <laughs> Where do you think that comes from? Who is it who uh, subjected the ground to growing dollar weed? Adam, yeah. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, you have eaten of the what tree? Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When, he, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, do you think that they actually gained the knowledge of good and evil? Yes. Yes. Read the scriptures. It's uh, whatever that means, I'm not sure. But they did gain the knowledge of good and evil. And they knew now what evil was. And uh, when they went out to the ground, lo and behold, they had a problem. They had weeds. We used to have what we called mustard. Mustard growing in the oat fields. And we had to go through the oat fields and pull that mustard out one weed at a time. And if you had 30, 40 acres of oats or wheat or whatever you had, and you had to pull out mustard, that was not your favorite job to do. However, uh, you could fake it a little. All right. Note that. Please note what we're doing. We're looking at the, uh, the creation being brought under what we call the curse. We say that uh, Adam was cursed. And we say that uh, Eve was cursed, and that is true. But don't forget that inside of that curse, there's a promise, right? What's the promise to Adam? In the sweat of your brow, you're going to eat bread. You're going to have bread, but it's going to be a hard time getting it. But that is the blessing. How about for Eve? You'll have pain in childbirth. What's the blessing? You're going to have childbirth. 
You're going to have that son, I promise. And what happened when that son came? It was Cain, wasn't it? I have gotten a man from the Lord. He's the guy. God fulfilled his promise. Well, of course, we know that didn't work out so well for Cain, did it? Or for Adam and Eve either, as far as that goes. But, uh, say what? Or for Abel. Or for Abel, no. Yeah, well, maybe it was a blessing for Abel. Who knows? There's always a blessing in there somewhere. All right, now, here's the deal that Paul, writing to Romans, he says that the earth was put under the curse. Creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. But we know the whole creation, and this is all always cosmos stuff, has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Notice Paul in Romans 8 divides even the hope for creation and the hope for people, which is part of creation. But the whole of nature is groaning and travailing. Trees, I see trees through the window. They're groaning and travailing, aren't they? Waiting for the day of the glorious liberty of the sons of God. Waiting for our adoption. Waiting for the coming again of Jesus. The whole creation is waiting. And that's what John 3.16 is saying. God so loved the cosmos. Whenever I read it, I think of the cosmos because I think we've just completely missed all of that because we're so man-centered. We're so interested in saying that God loved everybody and not just the elect, and now we get into that big argument, and the word is cosmos. That's what it's about. Okay? All right. That's the uh, intensity of God's love. This is what the world was and is. This is from Romans chapter 1. If you read Romans chapter 1, you read about uh, how man has taken God's creation and made a God out of it. The righteousness of God is against, or the wrath of God is against the unrighteousness of man. A very, very, very important concept to me. I hope it is an important concept to you because it's all about sin, isn't it? And what is man trying to do? He's trying to subject creation. And how does he do that? Is he doing it today? You heard of Earth Day, haven't you? It's amazing. It is amazing what man will do. It's just amazing. When I was a kid, somehow, for some reason, our high school class went from the Midwest all the way to the United Nations, and we got into the meditation room. And what did I see in the meditation room? Big, big block of granite, black. And that was, you're supposed to meditate around. And 
I was more naive in those days and didn't realize you have to be more woke. And I wasn't very woke, and I started laughing. I just laughed. I thought, this is what people are worshiping, a big rock. You might as well take a little one that you can carry in your pocket, right? I mean, if you're going to have a false god, take him with you. Instead, they put him in the United Nations place, a big rock, and there it was. Well, okay. This is Paul's assessment of the world in sin. Now, understand, this is our world as well. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. This is the world into which God sent his only begotten son. This is a world that is despicable. This is a world that looks at God the creator and says, I can do it my way. Somebody sang a song like that, right? I can do this thing myself. This is the kind of world we live in, and it's actually foolishness. God loved that world so much. It is so foolish. Do you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 1? I'm going to be, I'll quote the King James on that. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The world, the world just doesn't follow God. But this point of this verse is not to talk about all of those things, but God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Since they did not fit, see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. You catch that today? They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit maliciousness, their gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's the kind of world into which Jesus was born. That's the kind of world where God gave 
gift of salvation. It is truly amazing. Is it not when you think about it, God's love? That's what makes it so amazing that he would come. One other time, he didn't like what was going on and did something uh, pretty cosmic. The flood. The flood. He sent the flood, yeah. Pretty big deal, isn't it? Only eight people, right? <coughs> Only eight people survived. But how come God doesn't send us another flood? He promised not to, yes. Because God is faithful. Get this part. Not because man is doing better than they did. Man is not doing better, doing worse. But God is faithful. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. John talks about that in uh, 1 John 4.10. And this is love, talks about the direction of love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And if you go on, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. He gave his son, which is John 3.16, he gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God sent his son if you go on in John 3, God sent his son not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We're talking about hope in the uh, worship services. And really, hope is the whole center of it all. It just is. It's the, it's the heartbeat of the Christian life and faith. It's what sends through our bodies all of the uh, peace and the hope and the comfort. Everything comes from a heart of God because of hope. And hope does not make us ashamed, the Bible says. Hope is something that we, gives us trust and hope and assurance. It's amazing love. Also an amazing gift. The coming of Jesus into the world Tremendous gift. If you look at all of what we've been looking at, at the state of mankind from Romans 1, for example, if you look at that, it's got to be a gift. What does man do? Gets it wrong every time, right? I try to kill the uh, dollar weeds, kill all the grass every time. <laughs> I talk it over with my neighbors. I say, well, I want to put something on the dollar weeds. Yeah, but it'll kill the grass. Yeah, it will. And it does. So we can't do it. But God does. God demonstrated it or demonstrates his amazing love with the amazing gift of his only begotten son. And this is where I want to just point out a little bit that I'm not sure why exactly people don't want to use only begotten. I'm just not sure of that. But uh, the word is, as you see there, monogene, which means, mono means only, gene, genesis, or generate. He is uh, very special, born. I was reading some of the old theologians from the uh, 
first and second uh, century, and uh, I'm reading a little bit of church history on that. And what they're saying is that God's only son is, is, uh, has to do with his being born of a virgin, his being God, and his being man. That's what we say. We understand that. That became part of the belief of the church, part of the uh, Council of Nicaea, for sure. And uh, we believe that because the Bible says that. Jesus had to be a man because? Why could only a man save us from sins? Because man sinned. Man's guilty. So the guilty guy got to pay the penalty. But why do you have to be God at the same time? Yeah, it has to be righteous, yeah. has to be a true and righteous man is what we learned when we were kids. Because that's the only way he could pay for our sins and take our sins. I read from First John, I don't have 410 up there, no. He's a propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, just a big word, which means he took away God's against. God is against us because of sin. Not because God is unfair, but because God is fair. And this is what we did, and we know that too. We know that in our hearts, we know that in our lives, that we are guilty. Now, you can either try to cover that all up, or you can believe in Jesus. You know, and the whole point is, we want people to believe in Jesus so they don't cover it up, because covering it up doesn't work. It'll finally be uh, revealed. Who can forget Romans 5, 8? Can you, you know that? Somebody read it for me. But God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah, should have brought my cap along. I got a little cap with uh, uh, Romans 5, 8 on the back and a cross on the front. And when I go to Waterfront, I say, hey, they say, we like your, we like your cap because it's kind of like a chaplain's cap. And then I say, yeah, but did you see what's on the back? And I show them what's on the back, and I say, do you guys know what that means? And it's, uh, of course, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Perfect way to start talking. Get a cap. <laughs> it's just easy. It's just real easy. I say, yeah, you like it? Look at the back. You're going to like that better, you know? And they look at the back, and they say, okay. Some of them know it. These guys read their Bibles. I mean, they are all they get the Bibles open and stuff. And, and we're meeting the same guys, by the way. And uh, you don't have to just go to Sunday school and miss out on all of that. Did you know that? You can actually go to Waterfront when we go and just walk around and talk to the guys. And you'll meet the same guys several times. There's a guy there who is uh, from Modesto. I, I see him every time. And there's another guy who looks like James from uh, Covenant in Panama City. Looks like James' brother. His name is Daryl. He's not James. But I said, man, you look like, you look like him. I hope you can uh, have faith like him. You know, and then we can talk about it. Okay, it's an amazing, amazing gift that God has given us. And it is a gift. Okay, the old question is the question of Job. How can a man be just before God? 
Our nature says, strive to be acceptable. Scripture answers, the just shall live by faith. Slip in there the story of Martin Luther while you're thinking about it and how he tried to save himself. That guy went up the, uh, what's claimed to be the uh, uh, Scala Sancta, the steps of, of, of Pilate, went up on his hands and knees and he was uh, saying the rosary and the Lord's Prayer, rosary, Lord's Prayer, and of course you always say the rosary more than you say the Lord's Prayer, but he was doing that, trying to find peace in his heart, and he never found it till he found Romans 1, uh, 16 and 17, the just shall live by faith. And I want to add to that my interpretation beyond that. If you change the word order, the just by faith shall live. If you want to have life that's free of undue, let's say undue, stress and anxiety. You don't want to be completely free of stress. Put me out of business. I don't like that. <laughs> but if you want to be free of undue stress and anxiety, the just by faith shall live. And now Nicodemus, this whole John 1, it's about Nicodemus. I, when I preach on that passage, I always read about Nicodemus first, but I'll just tell you, Nicodemus wonders if he must be physically born a second time. How can I be born again? Do I have to enter a second time into our mother's womb? And Jesus answers, he must be born of water and the spirit. What scripture is telling us, stop the trying and try the stopping. Stop the trying, try the stopping. Stop at the cross of Jesus. Just stop there for a minute, two minutes, five minutes, your life. Just try that. Our first parents, they tried to cover their shame with fig leaves. God covered them with animal skins and with an everlasting promise. The promise is given to the devil. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And I'm going to give you a gift. That's the gift, the gift of the promise. Follow that promise. Genesis 12, 15, 17, in case you're wondering where it's at, that's where it's at. I used to, uh, I used to teach the kids for three years in the church while they were in uh, uh, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. I would teach them 20 weeks uh, and they would have to write papers and I would have a, had a Bible thing. These are the facts of the Bible. These are some of the facts of the Bible they had to know. I gave them a test and I gave them quizzes and I did all that kind of stuff because in those days we weren't as mobile as we are now and the kids were, they were there and they didn't have video games and all that stuff. So they came. We had school for three hours. I had school for three hours in one church and I had lunch and went to the next church and had three hours again. And then on Sunday morning, I had two more churches to preach in. I'm feeling sorry for myself. <laughs> but it was fun. It was actually, it was fun. It was fun teaching those kids. And there was one of those kids, every time I think about teaching, he had trouble learning things. And we sat on the bench, on the cement steps in front of the church. And we talked about how do you learn? How can you learn and get the basic facts of what it is that we believe as Christians? And that kid got it. 
amazing. And for years and years and years, it doesn't happen anymore, but for years and years, every Christmas, he would send me a card. Why? Follow the promise and see the tragedy of the promise. Israel turning from God to idols. And then look at the faithfulness of God. Ezekiel. Somebody read Ezekiel 36, 22. Yeah, that NK, that's uh, New King James Version. That's all that means. Yeah, they were faithless, but who was faithful? Thank God for that, huh? Moreover, the next chapter says, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. That's the amazing gift of God. He sets his sanctuary in the midst of us, which he did by sending Jesus. The word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. Yeah. And we beheld his glory. Yeah. Yes, exactly right. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He, he dwelt among us. God's presence with his people is a crucial thing. It's stunning when you think about it. Think about it today. When you go into the service, think about it when you're right here. God is present with us. God is present with us. Sound like some guy who's reading the teleprompter. I'm not. I don't do that. It's an amazing gift. God sent Jesus into the world. God's amazing gift is not only that Jesus would come and be born and live, but he would die and rise again and promise that we will go to heaven. So the angels say, to the shepherds, there is born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. God comes to man. It's not about us going to God, but it's about God coming to us and rescuing us. It's like we're drowning, and he reaches in the water and pulls us out. That's God's amazing gift, that he would do that. It's not that we are drowning and we figure out a way to somehow get out of that and it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. I guess this is a kind of a dated thing, but uh, way back when AA used to call uh, the world of alcoholism stinking thinking. Is that, uh, I think of secularism as stinking thinking thinking that you're going to get out of that drowning pool all on your own, it's not going to happen. It is not going to happen. If God doesn't come and pull you out, you're going to go down, not the first time, not the second time, but the third time, and you're never, ever going to get out. That's the simple story of the gospel. It's amazing that God did that. There's born for you a Savior. 
God gave the promise in Galatians 3.15, Genesis 3.15, and then in Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus, the only begotten, comes so that we might be adopted. And we are sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We are heirs. Heirs of everlasting life. So here's how God's amazing gift works. Now, I had a way to make that fly in there. It was really dramatic, <laughs> but somehow it died. It's, I think it's a Chinese computer. God's amazing gift is the incarnate. You know what the incarnation, you know what that means, right? Somebody tell me. I know it's simple, but uh, incarnation. What's carnal? What's carnos? Flesh. Flesh, yes. Jesus came. In the flesh. Yes. So his coming is God's gift. The cross is God's gift. Jesus went to the cross. Unbelievable, isn't it? When you think about it. What a gift that is. What if we had to think about that? What if, I mean, Jesus is thinking about that. He's thinking when he's praying in the garden. When he's sweating great drops of blood, he's thinking, I've got to go to the cross, and this is going to be pretty bad. And he says, Lord, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He says that three times. And the third time, he doesn't say if it is possible. He says since, since it is uh, going to happen. He's learning, growing in obedience and in grace, and he's doing that for us so that we might have life. And then there's the empty tomb. God's amazing gift is the empty tomb. Those guys came just like we would come, and the tomb was empty. Can you imagine? Would you be surprised, huh? Yeah. What if you went to a funeral, and it was an open... I don't know what they do here. Do they do open caskets here? We always had open caskets. And after the service, you'd go up to the casket, and the casket would be empty? Whoa. That would make an impression, wouldn't it? It would for me, I'll tell you that. I'd say, well, we don't need to go to the graveyard, do we? But it would be empty. The tomb was empty. It's an amazing thing. And then God's amazing gift is everlasting life. God gives us everlasting life life. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have. Translations say eternal life. The word is aineos. I say everlasting. I'm the only guy probably in the whole world who says that, but I'll tell you why I say it. Because the Mormons have the idea that there's little spirits floating around and they have to make bodies for those spirits. Those are eternal spirits and they're floating around. Eternal means without beginning or without end. Everlasting means without end. I pick without end. So, because it bothers me, I've studied the, a lot of the different cults, and it, it just bothers me to think, why should we feed the Mormons that little bit? You know, crumbs under the table, right? 
You know what they say about the, the woman who wanted to eat? All right, this next thing had to just absolutely floor Nicodemus. You don't have to do to be saved. You have to be changed in that by God himself. You have to be born from above. God uses the means of faith to effect that change. Faith is a gift. It's a gift that we exercise. Faith does not save. Faith leads us to the Savior. Faith is not saving. They had, uh, uh, in South Dakota, when they had, uh, on the farms, they had big blizzards, they could die on the way from the house to the barn. And so what they do is they tie a rope from the house to the barn and follow that rope. The rope tore, or if they lost the rope, sometimes they would have to die because it was in a blizzard, and you get lost in a blizzard. Well, the rope didn't save them, but it was a means to get to where they were saved. So is faith. Faith doesn't save us. It's a means to trust in God to come to Jesus. Faith, well, I've got it in here. I like to use uh, Latin words. So here's the traditional definition, notitia, sensus, fiducia. We need knowledge, we need assent, we need trust. That's what faith is about. You've got to know something. You've got to believe it's true, and you've got to uh, trust that it's true. That's what faith is, and we are saved by faith. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so you get the famous verse from Matthew 11, uh, 28, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the amazing promise of God. This is the promise. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's true, isn't it? Better be Jesus said. But... Nonetheless, uh, I mean, you really find that, don't you? That the burden is easy. His yoke is light. You think, boy, it's tough to be a Christian. Well, you have to give up everything, right? Remember that uh, in Matthew 13, the parables about the, uh, uh, the treasure and the pearl. It's about the value and about the worth. And then uh, Jesus points out, that when these guys in the parable found the treasure, either by looking for it or just hitting it in the field, they sold everything that they had and got that treasure. We should be willing to sell everything that we have, not to become ascetics, that's not what it's saying, not to become uh, uh, poverty-stricken, but simply to put our faith entirely in Jesus. And forget about that big black rock in the United Nations. That's the funniest thing. I don't know if they still have it there. But that is funny. Now, the world does not take that as funny. But I do. All right, and then John 14, 1 through 6. Somebody want to read that very carefully and fully. Who's reading it?
Okay, Jesus is talking in uh, John 14, 15, and 16 about his uh, soon-to-come ascension. He's preparing his disciples. I'm going away, and it's going to be tough on them. Remember how they were downcast on the way to the, uh, two of them were, on the way to Emmaus? Their faces, the language is such a, like their faces fell. You can kind of tell when somebody's face has fallen. And uh, Jesus says, don't let you, he's getting them ready ahead of time. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. I'm going. There's a lot of places for you. I'm going to leave the light on for you. Right? Jesus is getting a place ready for us. And when it's ready, he's coming back. Now, what do you think about Thomas? Think it was a good thing that he said that? I do. I like Thomas. But Jesus does say that uh, he didn't have faith when he didn't trust that he had risen from the dead. But uh, so he's got, we know him as doubting Thomas, right? But Thomas is asking a very important question. The question is where are you going? What do you mean? The disciples didn't catch on until after the resurrection, until as they were walking to Emmaus, and they said, did not our hearts burn within us while they walked with us by the way? And what did Jesus do as he was uh, talking to his disciples on the way to Emmaus? He explained? Explained the scriptures, yeah. He preached a sermon. Essentially, he explained it to them. He said, this is what God promised. This is how God fulfilled the promise. This is his amazing love. I'm going to go to the cross. And that was a tough one for him. Remember Peter said, not so, Lord. Caesarea Philippi said, not so, Lord. No, don't let that happen. See, then you've got to follow that whole sequence. After that, Jesus then takes Peter, James, and John to the Mount of Transfiguration. And there's Moses and there's Elijah and, and I like to think of it as the lawgiver and the enforcer and the keeper. So there they are. Jesus explaining, and God says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Listen to him, he's got to go to the cross. Yeah, and he promises when that's all done, I'm getting a place ready for you. And Thomas says, how do we know? And Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. That's John 3.16. All over again, isn't it? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one comes to the Father but by him. It's amazing. Absolutely 
amazing. And that's the stuff we've got to keep on in our own hearts believing and keep on talking to others. That really is what I call the heart of hope. I can tell you that because I was going to preach a sermon on that. Not going to now. It seems uh, presumptuous to think that uh, these other guys are all preaching about hope and eventually they're going to get to a grand conclusion and they're going to put it all together and it would be presumptuous to jump in and try to put it together. So I'm going to let it go. Ah, but it's hard. All right, any questions? Notice I was very careful to get close. Any questions? Serious. What I was going to do is what I used to do with the young people, the high school kids. I used to, when we got together, I'd have something ready, and then I'd say, hey, anything you guys want to talk about? Sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. If they didn't, then I went to my lesson. If they did, we talked about it. So if you have something you want to talk about, mention it, and Ken will take care of it next week. <laughs> no, I think you're having a missionary. Yeah. From where? Uh, let's see. It's a Scott Breeze from Turkey. Oh, okay. Okay, so spread the word. Spread the word. Um, can you, Clarence, can you close with prayer? Hey, thanks for listening. You guys are all right. It was fun. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Say what? I have trouble hearing. Again. <laughs> really? Maybe that's why I had the whole hum. Yes, yeah, it's just words. Yeah. Probably. You're right. You're right about that. If, uh, yes, and if Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged, and then he says, don't cast your pearls before swine, you got to make us judgment of some kind. Look at this. I'm pulling this all the way up, and it's working. Okay. Well, good for you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I have coffee, and I didn't drink it. Oh, I feel bad. Well, i got to dump it out. Well, thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome.
Hey. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thanks. Let's see, I've got something to put away here. I can't reach that. <laughs> yeah, it's on the side. But I can't reach it. I tried the remote, but the remote okay, turned maybe out on.
had a lightning strike a couple weeks ago, so it may have. All right, I need to let Don know.
and be praying specifically for what's happening with us um, throughout our time while we're gone. And uh, we really do appreciate your prayers. You know, as Pastor Joel says, during like missions conference week, you know, the refrigerator breaks and the dishwasher breaks and their house is on fire, whatever, you know. Stuff happens around foreign missions, and it doesn't mean that what's going on here is less important at all. But that's just kind of the way it works. So, like, my truck stopped working. There's no electricity this morning. My ticket was messed up to get home. So I didn't have a ticket home, but the Lord worked that out. Like, just those kind of things. And God wants us to ask for prayer help. So I and the team are asking you all, please pray for us. All right? All right. With that, please stand as we sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him to worship, which comes to us from Psalm 95, <clears throat> verses 6 and 7. We'll read this responsively. I'll read the first part, and you guys will read the second part back and forth. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. For he is our God. Amen. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for reminding us through that opening song that we are defined by your love, by your adopting us into your family through the life, suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that as we go about this worship service that we would know your special presence by the Holy Spirit. We would lift up Jesus and all that we do that we might know your love more deeply and be transformed by your love to be more like Jesus. We pray, Father, that if any here or are watching online that don't yet trust in Jesus and don't yet have that assurance of being adopted into your family and having the creator of the universe as their own dad, that you would give them faith in Jesus today. Enable them to call on the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness and salvation, adoption into the family of God. Father, we long for more brothers and sisters, and we, we care about the people we love that don't know you, and we just long that, that today would be the day, Lord. Bring them in. And now we pray as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please remain standing as we sing. <laughs> 
What a beautiful song. We have been washed clean. We have been made whole through the blood of Christ. And when we approach him now in a time of confession, we are not intruding. How amazing is that? That when we come before the Father, it's like Wilson, he always puts his thumb in his mouth and he carries his little blankie and is the cutest thing. And he approaches me. And in no way do I look at him and say, hey, I'm busy right now. No, I respond by picking him up and embracing him. And how much more so does the Father do that when we approach him in confession? Because of the blood of Jesus. So now we respond corporately and individually using the words on the screen, followed by a time of silent confession. Pray with me. Our glorious heavenly Father, holy is your name. May your kingdom come. And may your will be done on earth, even as we await your return. We confess that we often treat your name as common. We do not seek your honor above our own. We try to manipulate you with flattering words. We use your name to advance our own agendas. We do not give you the honor and praise that you are due. Forgive us, Father, and help us live as your children. Change our hearts that we would desire nothing less than everlasting life with you. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Pinewoods, pick up your heads and hear these wonderful words of encouragement from John 6. Jesus said to them, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Amen. darkest night, yet thought I knew 